In 2013, in Northern California, this couple named John and Mary were out walking their dog. They were walking on a path on their property in Northern California, a, a, a kind of in a, in a mountainous area or whatever. And um, as they're walking the dog, they looked down and they saw a, the edge of a can sticking out of this path that they had walked on many, many, many times. John stopped to look at that can, and he, he went to lift it up, and it was incredibly heavy. He, he thought, oh, it's a paint can. It's just been filled with leaded paint, so it's heavy, you know, it's, it, it, all that kind of thing. But when he pulled the can out of the ground and looked inside it, he noticed on top that there, was some gold, there, there were gold coins there. So John and Mary did what any sensible person would do. They um, took the dog back to the house and got a shovel instead. And they began to dig all around to see if there were other cans that had coins there as well. That afternoon, they found a second can. And over the next three days, they found six more cans filled with gold coins. Um, It's the kind of thing that inspires you to say, hey, let's go dig up our yard this afternoon, right? Um, Their discovery has now been called the Saddle Ridge Hoard. In those eight cans were $1,420 gold pieces, 50 $10 gold pieces, and four $5 gold pieces. They were all struck between 1847 and 1894. Experts believe that the coins were buried in the cans in the late 19th century, just after the peak of the California gold rush. John has since said that he thought that that first can that they saw, that they discovered, was a marker for whatever, um, the, the, for whoever buried the treasure there. For reasons that no one will ever know, that person never returned to retrieve their treasure. Experts say the face value of the coins is a little bit more than $28,000, but the value of the coins is actually closer to $10 million. One of the coins, a so-called 1866 S Nomato Double Eagle, is valued at over a million dollars for that, that one coin. Now, it really makes you want to go home and dig up your yard, right? Get the metal detector out go do the stuff. Um, that discovery by John and Mary in 2013 is, the, is the, the largest discovery of buried treasure on U.S. soil in the history of the United States. It's part of that is where we are in the U.S. There's not historically been treasures, big treasures that were set aside. But in Europe, there's some interesting stuff. As I was, as I, I was just looking for stories about buried treasure in England. In the last 20 years, there's been at least five discoveries of treasure that was buried in a field that was there that people just happened to find. Treasures that actually go back to to uh, the time of Rome. In England, that um, treasures that that contain the treasures of Vikings and of Saxons there as well, buried treasure. That's something that captures our attention, doesn't it? We think, oh, that would be so cool to find that that kind of uh, buried treasure. Long before there were banks, um, treasures. When people had wealth, they recognized that people could come in and steal it from them. They recognized that armies could come and invade, and if they did, they could take anything they could find. So they would take that treasure and bury it in their soil. 
bury it someplace in their yard, in, in their area, where only they knew where it was. The only problem was, if the invading armies never left, they could never come back and get it. Or if the person who owned that property was killed by the robbers, their secret went to the grave with them. So there sit, there sits in the soil these treasures that are buried, that are recovered periodically. Jesus told a parable about buried treasure, actually two parables. If you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're in this series called What's in a Story, looking at stories that Jesus told that helped us understand things about life, about Jesus, about his perspective on life. And in Matthew 13, there's three verses that tell this story about, uh, that, that tell two different parables about treasure. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, says this. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Those parables tell us one truth that Jesus wanted to teach. If you get that one truth today, if you are able to grasp it, to internalize it, to make it a part of your life, if it jumps in your heart and takes root, it will change your life forever. What's that truth? It's this. The kingdom of heaven is an indescribable treasure. The kingdom of heaven, having a relationship with Jesus, seeing the things of God, being a part of his picture, his plan, is an indescribable treasure. Jesus describes it as buried treasure that, that the first man just stumbles upon. Picture in your mind that this guy is out walking in the field. Maybe, maybe he's just out on an afternoon stroll, sits down under a tree, and he notices something that looks kind of funny in the soil, kind of like the can that John and Mary found. And he goes over and he begins to dig and pull it up. And there in this container, he finds coins and gems, all kinds of treasures, crowns, that kind of stuff. He buries it back up and says, man, i got to have this. And goes and sells everything that he can so that he can buy that field, so that he can take possession of that treasure. It may be that this guy wasn't just hanging out. And maybe he was working the field. He was a farmer. And he's walking behind the plow. He's got the ox doing the thing. You know, he's, he's holding that in, trying to do straight rows. And all of a sudden, he hits something. And the plow goes this way, and he's all mad because now his his plants aren't going to be in a straight row anymore. He thinks, I've got to get that rock or whatever it is out of there. He gets down to the, to the spot and he realizes it's not a rock at all. It's a container with a treasure in it. Accidentally, he finds this treasure, but he recognizes its value because that value of the treasure trumps everything. And he takes that treasure. He, he sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field. Because he recognizes the value of the treasure is immense. The second story that Jesus tells is different. It's not a guy who accidentally finds this treasure. It's a guy who's pursuing the treasure um, day after day after day. In the first, the man discovers the treasure by accident. In the second, the guy is a treasure hunter. He's a pearl merchant that travels around the world 
looking for a specific type of a pearl. He's looking for that giant pearl, that one of huge size, of luster, of beauty, of color, of brilliance. When he finds it, because of his profession, he recognizes the value, and he gets rid of everything so that he can take possession of that particular pearl. What, what gives something value? What all of a sudden takes something and, and, and all of a sudden it determines that this particular thing has a tremendous amount of value more than anything else? Um, economists say it's the law of supply and demand, right? The more demand there is and the less supply, the greater the value of that particular item. If, if things go away, there's only, it's a one-of-a-kind item, um, the value of it is going gonna, is gonna to grow. That's why those coins that were found, found by John and Mary were so valuable. They'd been in the ground for 125 years. They were brand new coins that had been buried for 125 years. So that when they were discovered, all of a sudden, they were, uh, the, the, um, the supply of those coins was limited to what they had just found because of, because of their condition. And the number of coin collectors that said, I've got to have some of that went through the roof. And so the value of those coins went way beyond what, what it, their face value said to the point that, that it increased to $10 million. Um, what's the most valuable possession that you have? Think about that for a second. I, I contemplated saying, everybody take out a piece of paper and just write down, what's the most valuable possession that you personally have. I asked that question last night at dinner to Deb and Micah. Um, Jake Chandler was over at our house. Said, what, what's the most valuable? Micah said, it's me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I am our most valuable possession. I said, yeah, besides that. It's kind of interesting to think through what is it? You know, is it your house? Is it your car? Is it some investment that you have? What's your most valuable possession? What would be the hardest thing for you to part with? Um, a, a whole bunch of years ago, when I was in high school, I collected cartoon glasses. If you're like my age or whatever, you remember like uh, uh, Pizza Hut and Arby's and McDonald's. They all had these glass glasses that had cartoon characters on them. So um, for the last 40 years, I've held on to these cartoon glasses just absolutely convinced that they're going to be of tremendous value, Right? So you can go to any yard sale, and there are cartoon glasses there. You can buy them for $2 a piece, uh, whatever. But I always thought, oh, you know what? The supply is going to be limited. The demand is going to be great. These, this is the greatest thing in the world to have. So much so that, that for all of our married life, those cartoon glasses have remained in a box. We've never used them. Because with six kids, glasses break, right? And you can't break such a valuable commodity as a cartoon glass. Um, what is it that gives value to something? In, in the same box that actually has the cartoon glasses, I have a baseball signed by Johnny Bench in 1971. It was in between the 70-71 series, or the seasons. The Reds had, had lost to the Orioles in 1970. Uh, I have a picture of my dad with Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench signed baseball. It's the coolest thing in the world. It's, it, it has tremendous value, right? The only problem is Johnny Bench has signed thousands of baseballs. 
you know, they're everywhere. And even though there's, there's value because a lot of people want them, because Johnny Bench is in the Hall of Fame, the value is really, for that baseball, is probably not worth more than $10 or something like that. It's not worth very much because there's a lot of supply and not all that much demand. And in my pocket, I have my, my dad's wedding ring. This has tremendous value to me. It's, it's unique. It's rare. It's one of a kind. Inside, it has etched into it September 22nd, 1950, the date my mom and dad got married. But there's a, there's a pretty limited amount of people that establish tremendous value to this ring. It's, it's really my sisters, my kids, my nieces and nephews, those people who are related to my mom and dad. I, I hope that decades from now that this is a family treasure because it represents my mom and dad's marriage of 61 years. It's a cool thing. But to you all, you'd say, you know what? The, the value, it's really in the gold. It's not in the ring. It's not in the fact that Bob and Jean Rubel were married to each other. It's in the substance. Value is established by the uniqueness of an item, the demand for it, and the availability of it. Here's the thing about the treasure that was found in the field, the treasure that Jesus describes as describing the kingdom of heaven. The value is so great because even though it's available to everyone, few people find it. Few people discover it. And even fewer people possess it. When Jesus says that the, God's kingdom, that knowing Jesus, having a heart relationship with, with God is like a, a treasure, what's, what's he saying? He's saying that that's the most important thing that's more valuable than anything else. It makes other things pale in comparison. So it challenges us to discover, to, to find that treasure, to obtain it, to to make it be a part of our life because when that happens, it changes our life. Our life changes when we get a hold of that treasure. First guy found the treasure accidentally. The second guy pursued the treasure, but both recognized the value of the treasure when they saw it. What's your, what's your story? I, you know, I, I don't know everybody's story. It may be that you that you have the kingdom of God, that you're a part of the kingdom. It may be that you stumbled upon that treasure. It wasn't really what you were looking for, that, that somewhere in the midst of, of a crisis or pain or a conversation with a friend, or you began to read and it just kind of logically made sense, but it was like all of a sudden you just discovered there's this God who loves me, and it began to change everything. Maybe instead of, of, of just kind of accidentally finding God, you, you've pursued him. From the time that you were young, you recognized that you had this desire to have this spiritual experience, this relationship with God that, that you, you weren't really sure how to, how to grab it. You, you pursued spirituality, you pursued religion, you pursued mystical kinds of things. And along the way, you picked up a lot of stuff. You picked up you know, some of those pearls, some of it was cool and, and it helped. Some of it looked good, but once you really got it, you found out that it was just kind of empty and hollow. So you kept pursuing. You maybe pursued Eastern mysticism or reincarnation or, or 
maybe you got involved in a cult or whatever. All the time you were looking for the real deal. That pearl hunter, that pearl merchant, he was very different from the guy in the field. He was professional. He was skilled. He was successful. He knew what he was looking for. But he wasn't fulfilled. Recognize that pearls are valuable because they're so rare in nature. They're unique and unusual, and they're hard to find. You know why it's so hard to extract pearls from clams and oysters? Why it's so hard to get those pearls out of the clams and oysters? It's because the clams and oysters are shellfish. Wanted to make sure you're still there. <laughs> the pearl merchant recognized the value and pursued it. He had to have that treasure. I, I don't, you know, however you found Jesus, whether it was intentionally or by accident, if you did, you understand that that treasure. Once it's acquired, it changes everything. It changes every aspect of your life, how you see everything from day to day. Do you think the lives of John and Mary changed when they discovered those coins? Initially, they just sold a few of the coins to pay off some debts and to be able to help some friends. But their lives will be radically different because of that $10 million discovery. When you discover a treasure, you experience this incredible sense of joy, this sense of euphoria that comes because you recognize that your life will never, ever be the same again because of that treasure. In Jesus' parable, he describes the guy in the field as discovering the treasure, burying it again, and then it says, with great joy, he went and sold everything that he had so that he could purchase the field. It wasn't a burden. It was with great joy that he had. Some, somehow, I think Satan has messed with our minds. And we have in, in, our, in our perspective this sense that, oh, to follow Jesus, that's a hard thing. That's a, that's a terrible thing. That's a difficult thing. It means that it's going to be this burden for us to walk through life because of this relationship with Jesus. That's not the picture in this parable at all. They recognized the value of the treasure and they joyfully sold everything that they have so that they could have the one thing that mattered. Getting the treasure, obtaining the treasure will cost everything. Understand that that's what Jesus said. It takes everything to, the, to, to experience, to, uh, to apprehend the kingdom of God. Both buyers gave up everything that they had to obtain the treasure. Once they had the treasure, they didn't have a house, they didn't have a car, they didn't have investments, they didn't have retirement, they didn't have savings. They had nothing left except the treasure. And they knew that it was worth it. It was no big deal at all. Jesus taught some on this, and it was difficult for his followers, for his disciples, for us to grasp. In Luke chapter 14, it says this, Great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. 
Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. Jesus said, understand, if you're going to follow me, it will cost you everything. In Matthew 19, a rich young ruler comes to talk to Jesus. And he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, here's what you need to do, obey the commands. And the rich young ruler says, well, which commands? And Jesus says, you know the commands. Um, honor your father and mother. Don't, don't, um, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Um, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't covet. And the guy said, I've done all of that since I was a kid. And Jesus said, There's, you know, there is one thing that you lack. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll obtain the kingdom of heaven. It cost everything, given up everything to obtain the, the treasure. Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about his heritage, his spiritual heritage, his pedigree that he has. He says, you know, I, I've, got this, I've got this resume that's incredible. I, I was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, I was a religious teacher. I was zealous for, for Judaism. But he says this in, in, in Philippians 3. I was righteous under the law, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I, I hope you see how this message, these, these parables fit with last week's. The whole idea that stuff is just stuff, it's going to go away. There's only one thing that matters, and it's having Jesus. It can't be Jesus and something else. It can't be Jesus in your job, Jesus in your position, Jesus in your family. Je it's only Jesus. That's the treasure. That's the thing that changes everything. He is the one who changes our perspective on every aspect of our life. Yeah, I love sports, and uh, ESPN was a wonderful creation, you know, when it happened. But, th but there's one thing on ESPN that just cracks me up. It's, you know, when I, when I got ESPN 2 or ESPN 3 on, and they, ha and they have guys playing cards on a sports channel. It, something about that just doesn't seem right. You know, they're playing Texas Hold'em or whatever. Uh, sometimes a watch, and, and and maybe you're a poker player, and and you do that. That's a that's a cool thing. When you when you play poker, when you play Texas Hold'em, when you watch that, there comes a time for every player when when they say, "All in." They take all their chips, and they push them to the middle, and they recognize that in that moment, based on the cards they have, they're risking everything that they have for the prize. They know that if they win that hand, they may have the ability to take all the other players out of the game and to, and to collect all of the treasure for themselves. They also recognize that they may lose it all when they do it. But they're willing to put everything at stake for that one hand. You know, th that parallel, that concept of giving up everything to pursue the treasure, that only works to a certain uh, aspect when you start thinking about poker because you're not really real sure. Here's the, here's the thing though. The guy who found the treasure in the field, the guy who was the pearl merchant, they looked down at their cards and they had a royal straight flush. 
they recognized that there was no way that they could lose based on the cards that they had. So when they said all in and pushed everything into the center of the table, they didn't just do their chips. They threw their keys. They threw the deed to their house, all their investments, everything that they had. You know what? The treasure, the treasure is going to take everything that I have currently and, and make it look like the possessions of a homeless guy. They're going to pale in comparison. Getting the treasure, possessing the treasure, is what it's all about. It will cost us everything. I, um, I've said before, I grew, I grew up in the church. I've been around the church kind of my whole life. When I, when I think about a message, when I think about this truth, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard for me to get past. Oh, yeah, I've heard, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was buried in the field. This guy found it, bought the field. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard for me to, to make that think fresh. And, he, and, and he, here for me is what's been going through my mind the last several days. Four questions, four questions that I want you to wrestle with. How much would you pay? What would you give up? What would you give up to know with certainty that every problem in your life was going to work out for good? All of the stuff that you experience, that mess at work, the divorce that just tore your heart out and messed up your family, that idea that your kid's in jail and you don't know what's going to happen when he gets out. You struggle with, with disease or with the death of a parent or a child or a spouse or a, a, a sibling. You don't know where that's going to go. What would you give up to know with absolute certainty that it was going to be okay? I think most people would say, I'd give, I'd give up everything to know that to know that there's a happy ending to this. Hear the words of Paul. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What's the treasure? Everything's going to be okay. What would you give up? How much would you pay to know that your life here on earth matters? We spend so much time in pursuit of thinking, oh, I need to do something of significance with my life. You know, when I'm gone, I want somebody to associate my name with the cure for cancer or with Olympic gold medals or with something significant. And we think, you know what, when I'm, who's going to pay attention when I'm gone? What would you give? What would you pay? What would you give up to know that your life matters, not just now, but for eternity, for hundreds of years into the future. Jesus said, I came to earth so that you can have life and have it to the full. I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I'm the one who put you together there. He said through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. What would you give up to know that your life is significant and matters? What would you give up to know with certainty that everything that you've messed up in your entire life, every mistake that you've made, every hurtful thing that you've said, every pain that you've caused to someone that you love, that all of that can be wiped clean. All of that can be forgiven. 
all of that can be granted a do-over. I think most people would say, man, if I could, if I could make all that right, I would give anything up for that. The Apostle John said, do you understand that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, do you understand that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. It's all fresh. There's a fresh start. What would you give up? What would you be willing to pay to know that you can live again after you die? Our, our culture, our, our stories are filled with people who come to a place at the point of death and, and, and they bargain with God. They say, God, if you can just give me two more hours, if you can just give me two more years to live, if you can just give me another decade, if you get me through this, I'll give you whatever I want. We all know those stories, right? What would you give up to know with certainty that when you come to the end of your time here on earth, that there's something on the other side that's far better than we've experienced here. Jesus said to three of his closest friends, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus said to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going someplace to fix you a house. And if I'm going to fix you a house, I'm going to come back and take you there. Take you to that place that I've created for you. What would you give up to experience a fresh start, the promise of eternal life? The assurance that everything's going to work out for good. The ability to have a do-over. I think most of us would say, we'd do anything to have that treasure. In 1982, Linda Shazzo wrote a, a song that, that I remember singing for years and years and years. I haven't sung it for a long time. But it describes the essence of this parable. Simple little chorus that went this way. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares to you. Some of you know that. That captures this message. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. You know, in 75 years... John and Mary aren't going to have any of the treasure that they discovered on their property. Somebody else is going to own those coins. Somebody else will have the power to buy things with, that, with those things. The kingdom of heaven, however, is a treasure that can transform your life now. It can transform your life 75 years from now, 7,500 years from now, it can transform your life for eternity. When our kids were little, 
we did, we did a thing for uh, several birthday parties for them that, that were a really, really fun thing. You know, it would be their birthday, would have, the, would have the birthday present for them and would hide it. And then it would start in their room with a note. And that note would give a clue that would take them someplace else, maybe to the laundry room. And there in the laundry room, there'd be a balloon. And inside the balloon would be another piece of paper with another clue. They'd have to pop the balloon, read the note, discover, figure out the clue, and go to another place in the house. That'd send them down to the garage. And in the garage, there'd be another balloon with a piece of paper stuck inside. Go through the whole process till ultimately they discover this treasure, this birthday present for them. And when they did... They were giddy because the present was really, really cool. But the fact that they had been on this treasure hunt that, their, that mom and dad had designed for them was as cool as any of it. Don't miss this. The buried treasure that Jesus describes as the kingdom of heaven, he buried so that you could find it. He designed it so that you could discover that treasure, so that you could open it up, so that you could take possession of it, and so that it could transform your life. It's not there by accident. It's not a random thing at all. God loved you from the beginning of time and wanted you to experience that treasure. We're going to celebrate communion this morning to finish the service. And while the scripture instructs us to examine ourselves, I'd like today for you to consider the cost of the treasure of the kingdom of God. The cost that made that treasure available was the death of Jesus. He gave up his treasure, his position at the Father's right hand, his comfort, his place, so that we could experience that treasure as well. Here's what I'd like for us to do today. Ultimately, when the, when the trays are passed, I'd like for you to take the tray and look to the person that you hand the tray to. Look them in the eye and to, and to tell them the cost of the treasure was incredible. And if you're comfortable as you receive that, um, I, I want you to just simply respond and say, I'm so grateful. The cost of the treasure was incredible. I'm so grateful. Let those phrases ring in your head, ring in your heart as you take the bread and realize that that bread represents the body of Jesus that was destroyed for you, that was destroyed so that you could experience the treasure, so that you could experience life with God. As as you take the cup and, and recognize that that Juice reminds you of the blood that flowed from Jesus' head and his hands and his side and his feet. Recognize the cost of that treasure. Again, just as you pass the tray, say, the cost of the treasure was incredible. And, and respond, I'm, I'm so grateful if you do that. It may be today that you're not a follower of Jesus and you're a little weirded out by the whole communion thing. That's okay. Uh, feel free to just pass the tray on to the next person. If you would, though, if, if you would, as you pass it, don't feel like you've got to take the emblems, but if you would, just go ahead and say to the person beside you, the cost of the treasure was incredible. And, th- and think about what it me- might mean if, if that's true. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
hold those emblems whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and take them. And I'm, I'll bring us back together and close this. Enjoy this time of communion. The cost of the treasure was incredible. I'm so grateful.